This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart. And as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback. And I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cammy here. Well, this week's episode is something truly unusual. I will be interviewing myself. Yes, that's right. This week's episode of the podcast is a chat with Cameron Esposito. Also, this week's episode and next week's episode are sponsored by Skittles. This is a pride partnership that I am super excited about. And hey, if you are listening to this and you want to see me live, for joking around opportunities, please know that I will be in New York City August 16th to the 20th at Joe's Pub. That one is super duper fun. We love Joe's Pub. Also, hey, you want to come see me in July? Do you live in Portland, Oregon? I will be at the Aladdin Theater on July 8th. So two opportunities to see me on the West and East Coast. But first, Enjoy this interview with Cameron Esposito. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still holding on, darling. I know, I know, I know it's careless. Leading up to this June, I was approached by Skittles to ask if I wanted to work on a partnership with them. I said, what is this partnership? They said, well, we want to do two special episodes of your podcast. One where you interview you. One where you interview the artists who make our pride packs. I said, that is amazing. I definitely want to talk to those artists. Also, Cameron Esposito, she is pretty interesting. So I'm super excited to bring these special episodes and I hope you will love them too. Now, I got to say, I really appreciate that. I actually really appreciate their support in continuing to do this work. I also love what they're doing for Pride this year. And this is why I said yes. They have commissioned five amazing queer artists to create Skittles Pride Packs as conversation starters. They are available um, in a limited edition all over the place. And you will hear an episode of this podcast next week where I will interview those artists. Actually, just because of how recordings work, I just did that recording. Uh, And it was amazing. So I can't wait for you to hear those artists. Also, Skittles asked me to interview myself. This is, I I gotta say, when I told Sierra and, and Jordan about this, they were like, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, who have you not had access to? Like, she was hard to book. They were busy, but we did get Cameron Esposito for the show. I also just want to say that something else I love about this partnership is that Skittles is donating at $1 from the purchase of every specially marked pack between May 5th, 2023, that already happened, and July 15th, 2023, you still get in this, up to $100,000 to GLAAD. We love GLAAD. I've hosted the GLAAD Media Awards. I've been nominated for a GLAAD Media Award. I know the president of GLAAD. Anyway, they make sure that depictions of LGBTQ folks in television media are not defamatory. We love them for that. Thanks, Skittles. Also, the brand is directing folks everywhere, allies and queer folks alike, to go to skittles.com slash pride and share a story about their pride experience or or just like their life experience. So I looked through a bunch of these stories and I found some that really stand out to me, including this first one that is about an experience of being a queer person at work. 
In fact, it was extra special because it is from somebody who works at the Mars Corporation and that they make Skittles. So somebody got to share about their experience at work on this very platform that their workplace set up. I don't know how better to be excited about that because that's pretty, it's just pretty sweet, okay? It's just pretty sweet. Before I came to Mars, I'd never been fully out at a job. I did engineering in male-dominated industrial environments where I never felt comfortable enough to be open. I edited myself on how openly I talked about my social and romantic life for fear of reactions. But when I joined Mars, I saw a meeting invite for a pride committee and slyly snuck off to join their first meeting, thinking I needed to keep my attendance low-key. What I discovered was a whole community of queer folks working on our campus and seeing their openness and visibility is what made me comfortable starting my journey to where I am today, proudly co-leading our LGBTQ plus group and openly advocating for our community in national and global meetings. I I do think that's a, a quite impactful story. I know that for a lot of folks who are not in my job, for me, because the product that I sell is me with my face and my haircut and the shirts I wear. Um, I, you know, I made the decision very early on to come out at work because I just have a job where I talk about my life. And so it felt supernatural to me. Not supernatural, not ghosts, natural, extra natural. It felt natural. But I know that there are a lot of people, a lot of listeners. Um, and part of the reason I know this is because I, you know, I have this Patreon group that meets uh, to and has met for a while to sort of they support the show, but they also talk about their own lives. I know them pretty well. And I know that for a lot of folks on that particular that group of listeners, you know, they have invested in this show because it creates a community for them. I know we don't all have communities, a community at work. And I know that many people, you know, would hesitate to put a picture of their partner up um, or, you know, share what they did over the weekend. So I want to say that it it never leaves my mind that that is true for so many of us. And it always feels like a privilege to be able to create whatever community I'm creating just by being in your ears. So I hope, I hope that you feel my support and know that um, even if you don't have a group to join at work, or even if this isn't something that you can openly celebrate, that I celebrate you. All right, this next story is also quite cute. While I'm not a member of the community, my godfather, Uncle John, is. Growing up, my family would go to dinner parties and holidays at his loft in downtown Cleveland. One Fourth of July, when I was around eight, my younger brother and I saw a few of Uncle John's friends share a kiss after the fireworks finale. On my way home, I asked my mom, hey, mom. Why did those two guys kiss on the lips? And she responded, because they love each other. When people love each other, they kiss. My brother and I said, okay, makes sense. And that was that. From then on, I understood it's truly that simple and that LGBTQ plus rights are human rights and we must protect them at all costs. Come on. You know, I love the idea of talking to kids, you know, about the reality of what's going on. I I like the idea that the parent in this situation was able to just honestly talk about the people that they love and the people that love their kid. Another thing I will say is that I love that this story takes place in Cleveland because so often we focus on the coasts and I think a lot of people forget that we are everywhere. We're in Ohio. My mom's from Ohio. No, my mom's not queer, but she created a queer, dare I say, 
the queer. And so, yeah, Ohio, deep, deep cut, deep, deep cuts, deep roots. We love Ohio. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Now, I also am going to ask myself a few questions. <laughs> These are questions that um, I, I had to write for myself, and, you know, we'll see how I answer. Cameron Esposito, thank you for so, so much for being on the show. Actually, hang on. I should do it this way. I always have guests on the show introduce themselves. Would you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm, I'm Cameron Esposito. <laughs> I use she and they pronouns. I'm a stand-up comic and actor, writer, and podcast host. I also like athletic endeavors like hot yoga and running 5Ks. And I think I'm going to try to create an axe-throwing zone in the side yard of where I live. So these are things are important to me. And um, I'd like to talk a little bit about my views on brand allyship during Pride. Um, This is a thing that's receiving a lot of media attention this year. And I want to just say that for me, this is just my personal experience. Um, June always sneaks up on me. I don't spend a lot of time outside of June thinking about Pride Month. Uh, I, when I, you know, when it's June 1st and I've, I've usually had some sort of work tie in because folks, you know, are looking for queer folks that they can connect with, uh, maybe it's a brand or maybe it's a show, but when June 1st hits, even if I've already pre-booked that thing, I, I do end up getting very emotional. My, my parents my parents bought a couple of years ago, they bought an allied flag <laughs> um, that they ha- started to hang in their in their front window in the suburban town where I grew up. And I went home a couple years ago. I didn't even know that was up. It was a surprise to me. And then I also noticed some other pride flags on their block. And when I was growing up there, I never would have dreamed that that would be something that people would do. I didn't know out queer people when I was a kid. And I don't know that there are queer folks at those homes that display flags, but I do know that it makes me feel safer in that town. And so the same thing is true with brand allyship. I mean, yes, I think that there are always questions about authenticity, you know, making sure that folks really mean what they say and making sure that folks especially are supporting our community in real ways and helping to make us safer, helping to make us financially viable. I like it. That's a controversial stance, but I do, you know, I like 
uh, seeing rainbow packaging. I like seeing folks in a parade. I also like the in-group events that have nothing to do with that. You know, I also like going to a drag show that doesn't have a corporate element. I also like being part of a march. I think all of it, for me, works together to make me feel like, yes, like, pride is a rally. Pride is, you know, a riot. Pride is Stonewall. I also think pride is normalization and some ways that we're normalized is by being in the grocery store. And that that does matter to me. So I was asked to talk a little bit about the creation of Query. And I will just say that in 2016, there was a leadership change in our country that really affected me. I felt that I, I felt very nervous about making sure that I had community around me as that leadership change happened. Also, I had had a TV show on a, you know, NBC affiliate streaming service that is now defunct. And when that that service was canceled, the TV show was also canceled. And so for me, I had been spending a couple years really trying to get a show and then I got a show and then that show was over. And I felt like I wanted, again, to create community for myself. And so I created this show really so I have a chance to talk to people that I wanted to talk to. And I have gotten that chance. It's kind of wild to just have a reason to reach out to anybody and ask them, hey, like, do you want to come on this show? And really, it's often just because I would like to meet that person, you know, because I like their work or maybe they've been pitched to me. And, you know, I feel like, yeah, this is an angle we haven't had before. Um, like when we had an immunologist on at the beginning of COVID or when we've had an astronaut on, I always, I always tell you I want to be an astronaut on because it was so cool to me, you know, or just folks who, you know, in the entertainment or media industry who I really uh, respect and have not gotten a chance to talk to yet. So yes, honestly, here's the thing. I did it for us, but like selfishly, I did it for me. And I think that's great. I think that as queer people, if we can do things that make us feel more comfortable, that make us feel supported, go for it. Yes. What role, Cameron, does storytelling play in acceptance and visibility? Yeah, that's a great question, Cameron. You know, for me, I uh, I didn't have a chance to be a part of a queer friend group before I watched queer friend groups on television. And I think it made me feel that there was something to shoot for. I think about something like the original version of the L word. And I'm like, oh, maybe I'll be able to walk down uh, around the corner and ho hop into someone's backyard and, and go to a pool party with them. Like, wouldn't that be wild? And some of that has turned out to be true. I live in LA, so sometimes I get invited to pool parties. I will say that I just feel that we are at the beginning right now of having folks visible and amplified who... I feel like look like me. Now, I'm a pretty small-bodied person and I'm a white person. So in those ways, like, yes, I have seen people that look like that. But I will say that there are some things about my proportions, size of my chest. Um, there are some things about my gender presentation, which I know sometimes people feel is masculine for television. I know that because they have told me um, that I don't, I still don't think I've seen a lot. Like, it still affects me to turn on Grey's Anatomy and see a non-binary person there. I don't know how 
true, you know, how true that is for all of you, but I'd love to hear. Um, and what does, outside of in-group, what role does storytelling play in, in acceptance? Well, look, I know that when we are fighting for marriage equality and wanting to get folks comfortable with something they should be comfortable with, the thing that was proven to be most effective was not talking about justice or the legal system, but just having folks meet real couples, like having real couples talk about their lives, having real couples talk about how they loved each other, having real couples talk about something like not being able to inherit property from each other, um, having real couples, having something grounded in a face and an experience. And so do I think that this can change hearts and minds? Yes. However, there is always the obstacle of storytelling requires a person to want to listen to that story. And if there is one thing that I think impedes progress the most, it is folks outside of a group deciding not to feel invited and to educate themselves. So like, I know whoever's listening to this is a fan of mine, is a fan of this podcast, and I love that. And I also do feel disappointed sometimes that this isn't a show that like, everybody listens to. I mean, not just because I feel so talented, um, but because I think these these interviews, it's really an opportunity for education. You know, there there is hearing people talk within community is different than somebody being interviewed by a heterosexual person. That So I think that if folks really wanted to be allies, they would go see our stuff. In the theaters, they would read our books. And that is what I hope for going forward. I mean, I don't know, Queer Love, The Ultimatum is trending right now on Netflix. So maybe we are moving more in that direction. Um, but I hope it continues that way. All right, I was also asked to talk about my queer curriculum for people who are not part of the LGBTQ plus community. Let's just start with books. I think, do you want something that is moving and deep? You're going to want to go Jackie Woodson, Brown Girl Dreaming. That is an amazing book. Do you want something that you can also listen to as a soundtrack? You're going to want to go Fun Home, Alison Bechtel. Do you want a lighthearted rom-com? Check out Red, White, and Royal Blue. Casey McQuiston's book. All right, so let's get into films. Honestly, favorite queer film of all time is Saving Face. I love this movie. I love Alice Wu, uh, the director. And I think that's something that's so great about this movie is that it is funny, it is charming, it is personal, it is moving. I love it. It is my favorite. And actually, I've gotten to know Alice Wu a little bit, have dinner with her, and have her as a guest on this podcast. Hooray! Finally, if you would like a TV show? Can I just make a shout out for Dickinson? I feel like not enough people watched that show and I loved it. And I think there's a beautiful queer uh, love story in that show. It's a really good show. I was also asked to talk about what queer stories have impacted me the most. And I got to be honest, something that really has affected me in my life is learning that we have 
always been here, learning that we have been before and learning a little bit about my own personal history. Because I know my family history a little bit. My family is very invested in our family history and learning more and more about it. You know, my dad was adopted. My mom has some super interesting stuff on her dad's side. And all of that has really affected me in learning more about who I am. I also have, outside of a familial history, a history as a queer person. And this really struck me when Edie Windsor was uh, fighting for our rights in the Supreme Court. It really struck me when I watched a movie called If These Walls Could Talk Too, which was on HBO and has a bunch of stories throughout different decades. It has affected me when I learned about uh, Bayard Rustin, who was a civil rights leader that worked alongside Martin Luther King and was a gay man. Also, I got to host an awards ceremony at the Ruth Ellis Center in Detroit, which is named for Ruth Ellis, who was a woman who uh, supported and was a cornerstone of the LGBTQ community in Detroit. At that particular uh, event, I got to introduce and give an award to Lily Tomlin. And even the fact that like we have always been in media and entertainment, even if folks weren't always able to come out the way that Lily is so out now, or folks like Leah Delaria, who I've had on this show, who was working as an out comic at a time where Leah was literally arrested multiple times in San Francisco for presenting the way that makes her comfortable. I also have folks, again, it's not like these folks are some of these people are, are they're, they're not, these are not old people. <laughs> I'm just talking about the micro generations that exist in our community and how folks who are even five years older than me, or 10 years older than me have had a completely different experience. And so I think about somebody like Alexandra Billings, who I just had a chance to do a panel with this last weekend. And I don't know if you follow her on Instagram, but you need to, you know, Alexandra had a moment really in the public eye on Transparent, but has worked as an educator uh, for years and still works as a professor and has so much to say about her own experience. So I think that's that's one direction that I would go. I would also say that like queer young people who have a different level of confidence in who they are because of the work that generations ahead of me and gener- and my generation has done, those folks allow me to sort of get more current in my body. And that is hard. That is hard. So like I think about people like Meg Stalter, who is just in the world and out, or Hannah Einbinder. Those are both two out queer folks who are in the television show Hacks on HBO. And there's like a ease, you know, that they carry. And I don't have that ease. So I do need to look to younger generations to learn more about how to do that. And you know on this show, if you're a listener, that I have mentioned uh, TikTok in the past. But if you're new to the show because you're coming in through Skittles, let me just tell you that TikTok is a is a great place to get resources and information about the queer experience. Work with your algorithm a little bit. You might have to do some searching, but you can really find some creators who are honest and speaking about themselves in this very autobiographical way, this very personal way, this very unfiltered way. And for me, you know, I'm 41. And so I am, my life has really lined up with so much social change 
the week I graduated from college is the same week that Massachusetts became the first state to legalize same-sex marriage. If I had been a year older, that would not be true. If I was a year younger, I would have already known that marriage could exist for me after college. And just feeling even that part of my rights be secured as I moved into adulthood massively changed how I feel about myself. But the fact that I was already a person in my early 20s before I got that right also means that like I carry some shame and some fear that, you know, is kicked up right now by current legislation. So, yes, I I look to folks ahead of me and I also look to folks behind me. I, n- I never looked to peers. That, that's a joke. I'm just kidding. Hello, Tegan and Sarah. I love you the most. And finally, before I send myself back into my day, I always have folks on the show shout out a queero. So Cameron, would you like to shout out a queero? Yes, I would. Yes, I would. Now, this is a really exciting question for me to be asked because I have gotten to work with so many people that are public facing and I'm a public facing person. And I think that truly a lot of the queeros in my life are people who are less public facing um, or that I have a relationship with that is not as public facing. So the first people I want to say are my queeros are Sierra, Jordan and Matt, who helped me make this show. I have had their support for years, and it has meant the world to me to work with a group of people that I trust who make me feel safe so that these interviews can be as in-depth and cute and sweet and heartbreaking and sad and happy as they are. So thank you to those folks. I also want to thank my friends, you know, my queer friends who I have gone to Provincetown with or had dinner with or gotten a chance to really know their lives. Uh, That's folks like Kelsey and Kelly and Lydia and Candy and Taylor, just folks who have shown me a contemporary example of how I can live by being my queer family. I also want to add my siblings and my parents. My siblings, um, I have two sisters and I'm in the middle. I don't talk about them very often on the podcast, but they're incredibly important to me. My younger sister was quite young when I first started dating women, and I didn't come out to her for a long time per my parents' request. I will say that when I did come out to her, she was incredibly supportive and always has been. So this idea that folks are too young or will be too confused, um, I even believed that that might be true but it didn't end up being true in my own life. My older sister was one of the first people I told that I was queer, and she didn't really know what to do and that she was very young also, and she educated herself to try to get even more supportive, even though she was initially supportive, but to try to add additional support. My parents, as many of you know who are longtime listeners, uh, were initially shocked and frightened when I came out to them. And today they put up an allied pride flag in their front window because it turns out people can change and information is one of the best ways for that to be possible. I also want to take a moment and shout out the queeros who gave me jobs and made it possible for me to do the work that I do. Coleman Bryce, who has a bar in Chicago where I had an open mic that's called Coles. We love you, Coles. Um, Mark Geary, who hired me to teach a stand-up class that allowed me to pay my bills very early on. Also, Ryan McMenamin, who used to 
produced a live show with me here in Los Angeles at the UCB Theater. Evan Shapiro, who is the reason I had a TV show on a now defunct streaming service. But you can, fi- you can find it on iTunes. It's called Take My Wife. I also want to thank folks who in the stand-up world were either with me or against me. You know, I had this comic, Drew, who was sort of my, I don't know, arch nemesis, I guess, maybe, in the stand-up world. And after years and years, we got to make this wonderful piece with each other and are now friends. So that is really what I will say, is that change is possible. Change on folks' opinion of you, but also, like, in my case, with that Drew example, you know, I accepted myself more and it took the pressure off somebody else having to accept me. And that is how that friendship came to be. I also want to shout out, and this is, I have never had anybody on the show do this, but this is, this is true for me. So for me, some of the folks who have impacted me the most are the folks I've gotten to live with in relationship. Because yes, my friends are my family, and I, and I have a, a family of origin, too, that I'm close with. And yes, I love having work relationships with people, folks like Sierra, Jordan, and Matt. And for me, creating a home, having that level of intimacy, getting to know what somebody fears and what makes somebody excited, that's irreplaceable. And so I want to thank... Um, Callie and Melanie and Z and Jack and River and Katie, all of whom have made me the person that I am. You know, when we date as queer folks, at least I'll say when I date as a queer person, that person has such a different proximity to me than I often hear my my straight friends talk about. Because that person and I have some overlap to our identities. We have some knowledge of each other's experience in the world. We have some friendship, like a deep, deep friendship that comes from like not necessarily having this strict separation between like who's on the, you know, bride's side and who's on the groom's side or a uh, guy's night out situation. All of those folks I have gotten to travel with and sh- read books together and play sports with. They're people who I, they've changed me. They have massively changed me. And I mean, <laughs> when Ariana Grande released that song, Thank You Next, you know, I really think that is a queer hit because she's naming all of these folks who've been in her life, and she's talking about the positive stuff that they have brought with with them. And not all these people that I'm talking about, like, I don't have daily relationships with them. I don't see them. We don't talk to each other. Um, and they are with me in my life all the time because they have fundamentally changed who I am. So I want to shout out <laughs> all my exes. All my exes and my currents, uh, thank you so much for making me the person that I am today. Again, I want to thank Skittles for making this episode and next week's episode possible. I also want to direct 
allies, queer people everywhere to skittles.com slash pride. Share your story, share your support for the community and view other people's stories too. And also get a hold of these pride packs. They're beautiful. You are going to want to see them. You're going to want to support queer artistry. And you get a chance to hear from the folks who designed them next week, right here on this show. <laughs> 